0: Stories of the Bible, Jonah. This is Jonah. Uh-huh. Jonah was a prophet. That means it was his job to tell people what God told him to say. Yep. One day, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh because the people of Nineveh were doing bad things. Uh... But instead, Jonah ran away. Where are you, think? and went to the port to board a ship. Going the other way, he was hoping to get away from God. He sailed for a place called Tarshish. While he was at sea, God sent a great and powerful wind over the sea that caused a storm that seemed like it would break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the sailors tried everything they could think of to save the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah was sound asleep. So the captain went down and said, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will help us. Then the crew figured out that Jonah was the reason for the storm. Uh And they asked him, who are you? Why is this happening to us? Jonah told them who he was and that he worshiped the one true God who made the sea. Then he told the sailors to throw him in the sea, so the storm would stop. No, why? The sailors still tried to escape the storm, but it was no use. Uh. So they asked God for forgiveness and threw Jonah into the sea. The storm stopped at once. The sailors were amazed at God's power, and they vowed to serve him. Now God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah uh, great! and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and nights. Jonah prayed to God from inside the fish and God ordered the fish to spit Jonah out. yeah God told Jonah again to go to the city of Nineveh to tell them what God had said about them. I get it, I get it. This time, Jonah obeyed God and went to Nineveh to deliver God's message. (coughs) The people of Nineveh stopped doing bad things and turned to God. They were saved. Because they listened to the message that God had given Jonah. Well, good
1: morning! Isn't that a cute, cute video? It's a cute. I, I love, I love the um, the way that they walk, like waddle, you know, and like they don't say anything, and you get the whole thing, right? It's so, it's so awesome. So, um, hey. We're starting a new series this morning, uh, and if you can't tell, right, it's on the book of Jonah, and uh, Jonah, uh, we've titled it God's Word uh, in God's World, and we'll talk about that in uh, a bit, Uh, but I I love, I love that video um, for so many different reasons, because I think that it captures a lot of what's there, but here's when I, that's a video by Saddleback, by the way, um, out in California, so great church, great video, awesome story for kids, right? Um, What's the problem with that video for adults? When you, when you think of, even just the story of Jonah, like, what, what's, the, what's the problem uh, conceptually with the story of Jonah? Is that the first thing that you think of when you, when you hear Jonah is what? Of the fish, right? Right? It's this massive fish, right? And that's the story. Um, the story, by the way, the fish is mentioned, I think, twice in the entire story. So here's what I want us to do this morning, right? Because this is, I think this is like the tails factor, right? Because we... we um, We find these stories captivating when we're young, and we fixate on on certain pieces of that story. And part of the problem is that as we grow and as we age or mature, really, sometimes our, our understanding of a story doesn't necessarily mature with us. And so we're kind of stuck in, in this, this younger version of this story. And this story is really about so much more. It's about nationalism. It's about missiology, like my, my willingness to, to be on mission. It's about race uh, and ethnicity, right? It's about so many different things. And so what I want this morning, I guess what I would ask is uh, to conceptually take that fish, okay, which so many people think it's a whale and maybe it was and, and we don't know. But take that fish and we're going to like... Put him back into the Mediterranean Sea, okay? We're gonna free Willie, so to speak, uh, and just let him kind of go live his life and do his thing, right? Because this is a story that's not about the fish, right? It's not about uh, that piece. It's about stuff that is so much more. And one of the things I love, I, I just absolutely love this story, right? I, lo- I love God's Word, I love the Bible. Uh, And this is just one of those stories that has just always stuck out to me. And and I'm excited to study this with you. And I think that, that this is one of those books that is so broad... Um, in, its, um, in its thematic development, that you could preach this at, in any season, at any time of the year, and it would have relevance. I mean, it's just that kind of a book. It's just really, really, really good. But I think also, right, coming out of COVID, as we begin to think about the mission that God has given us, these road stories that starts with cave, table, and road, right? So even though we ended that series, really, we're just beginning it, <laughs> Right? We're beginning on, on the next level. How do we live this out together? And so COVID has made the world ready in so many different ways uh, for the, the truth, the message of God's word. And so coming out of Cape Table Road, right, just is even that much simpler for us to kind of put this into context um, for us, right, in our own story. So if you've got a Bible, um, I would just invite you to open up uh, your Bible to the book of Jonah. That's in the Old Testament, um, and uh, and I just want to just give you a couple of quick uh, anecdotes here. So um, when our email goes out, I believe it goes out on Thursday or Friday. When that goes out, at the bottom of that, there should be an attachment that has like uh, some notes that if you can print. So if you're a note taker and you go, gosh, I would love to. To have that, since we don't have bulletins, you can actually find that on there and print it off on your own and bring it, bring it with you. So, um, and I'll also encourage you um, to bring your Bible. Like I know that we're going to have words up on the screen, but I think that there's something something so um, personal and intimate about us just engaging with what's in front of us. And so I think that's really important. So, and if you don't have a Bible. Um, we encourage you to get one. So um, if you don't have one, you can actually stop by our connection center and they will give you uh, they will give you one as opposed to maybe just taking the one from your neighbor. That would probably be bad. So maybe just stop back in the connection center and they would love to give you one. Um, it is, uh, I believe those are NIV. Uh, I like to use the ESV because for me, um, I think that it, it blends the, the Hebrew and the Greek with the readability of the English. And so that's why I, I like it. But find whatever uh, translation is really good uh, for you that you like to read. Uh, and bring bring that with you. So um, we're going to start in uh, verses, uh, we're just doing three verses today, okay? Verses one through three. So, but believe me, there's plenty uh, in these three verses, okay? So here's here's where we start, verse one, in the new series, Book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Okay? So this is the story, right? Those are the first two verses. This sets the context for our story. And if you remember at the beginning of the video, uh, it said, Jonas, heroes of the faith. So ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to the hero of this story in verse 3. After God says all of that, he says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, right, this is just redundant, uh, away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so here's just, we, we are introduced to something about this story that is unique uh, from, from a lot of different stories in the Bible, and so I just want to point this out, is that, that Jonah is, is a story all about um, what's upside down, <laughs> Okay, like everything in Jonah is kind of the backwards way of what it's supposed to be in real life, and so it is very much an upside down story. Um, and so when we when we read the the story of Jonah, this 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 canonical book, right, that, that is the divinely inspired word of God, we have to understand how to read it. And so there's two. Potential I mean there's a whole bunch of interpretations about how this book really gets um, interpreted but the two primary ways in which this happens um, one would be that that Jonah was actually um, a satire okay um, a satire uh, is like a is when you use real historical people um, to, to exaggerate in some way, shape, or form, in a humorous way, something to make some form of a, of a criticism, like of a point, right? And so sometimes maybe the closest thing that we have um, uh, today is Saturday Night Live, okay? So there's a ton of satire in Saturday Night Live, right? Where they add humor, and they exaggerate. Um, and so Jonah maybe could be uh, a satire. And, and the reality is, is that Jonah is actually... Um, a quite comical book. We don't always read it that way, but it's, very, it's a very funny world because of how many things are upside down in this story, right? And so you've got Jonah who is supposed to be this incredible, amazing, righteous prophet of God. And, and what does and God do? He gives him a mission and he goes, cool, I'm going to go the other way, <laughs> right? And then he flees. And then, and then there's the story, right, where we know that the fish piece uh, enters into the story and in some way, shape, or form, you know, in the belly of the whale, he survives for three days, which, you know, you might think that that's bizarre, but, you know, hey, like, Jesus rose from the dead. Like, that's, that's an even greater miracle, um, right? So, like, we know that this is, this is feasible, this is possible, but in yet some way, shape, or form, in chapter two, he records, like, this, this deeply intimate poem while he's in the middle of the fish. And you're like, What? how does this happen? Like, like, does it, like, like, luminescent, like, glow worms, like, on the, like, on the inside, and does he, like, grab, like, the bone of a, of a fish and then poke a squid and then write it out on his hand? Like, like, what happens? Like, how does this work? Like, it's just bizarre. And so as you're reading this in this Old Testament setting, the people have been like, man, this is totally backwards. This is totally upside down. This is not the way that it's supposed to be. And that's really the story of Jonah. And as that continues, really Jonah is just this, this constant, like in this constant battle, like he's happy, sad, happy, sad. He's like a tennis ball being smashed back and forth, you know, like he's unstable throughout this whole book. Uh, and he's just over and over happy, sad, happy, sad. And so maybe, maybe this is a satire, okay? So, um, but it's also possible um, that this is a historical narrative that this is the the exact um, events that happened to Jonah and to the Ninevites and on all of these people, that these are real, actual uh, events. We know that Jonah was was a historical person. We find him in 2 Kings. Um, It's the only time he's mentioned in the Bible, and he's working with this this king of the northern kingdom. Um, His name is Jeroboam, and he's expanding, prophesying about the expansion of the kingdom. So we know he's a real person. So whether you, whether or not you feel like this, whichever side you stand on, if this is a satire or if this is a historical narrative, what matters is that Jonah is a very real person and that this book contains uh, the authority of God's word and in what? It has a specific message for us to hear both in their world, but then also uh, in, uh, in our world, right? So, but here's what I love about this is that with everything that's upside down, I, I love that, that what God is doing is that in teaching us about what's upside down, he's actually teaching us what? He's teaching us about how to be right side up. Right, that's that's really this this larger piece is because here's here's an example, right? And here's this kind of story, whether it's historical narrative or it's satire, and it is flipped upside down. And yet, what he's doing is he's trying to teach us how to flip things right side up to understand what is like the way that God actually wants for us or desires for us to live in this world. And so, when you take this book, you take the book of Jonah, um, and you throw it into the Christians' lap, this. This book will shatter our expectations and our understanding of who God is and what he wants to do in this world. And so that's why I love this story, okay? So that's actually why we've titled uh, the, uh, the series um, God's Word in uh, God's World, right? Because you see the play on words, right? This is about who God is and what he is asking uh, for us in the midst of his world, in the, in the midst of his creation, in the midst of his plan and his desire. So there's great, 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 great stuff in this book. Um, really, really awesome, and I'm so excited to get into this. So how are we feeling good? Are we Ready? We ready to dive in? Okay, all right. So, we're going to jump into verse 1, and we're going to start here, right? We're going to look at um, understanding these first things that we're going to be revealed is understanding God's heart, right? Like, who is God, and, and what does he want to accomplish? So, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Okay, I'm just going to stop there for a second, like, and let's highlight um, these first ones. Word of the Lord, okay? So, just as a reminder, we probably know this, but in case we don't, whenever you see the word Lord in all capital letters, what is that referring to? It's referring to the, God's personal name Yahweh, Y H W H. And so, I, I just I think it's important for us because sometimes I think like this is not just some generic title. For for God, right, the creator of the universe. This is his real personal name. And I think that sometimes um, for us and for me, like if I forget that when I pick up God's word, like if I if I just somehow attach the authority of this book to some um like esoteric figure that kind of just lives in who knows where, like this kind of this random, like I, I use the word God and I know who I'm talking about, but it doesn't really feel or sound personal if that makes sense. And so sometimes just replacing God for this idea of Lord, right, Yahweh, we begin to understand that that God is a very personal God. And this has actually been a theme for us over the course of this last year. Like, when we looked through Exodus, we saw all about, like, this is where God reveals his name, right, to Moses. My name is YHWH. And so, for us, I think it's so important because coming out of COVID, I think that there is this reality for each of us, myself included, that, that we need to remember, right, that, that God isn't just this kind of just esoteric figure in the middle of nowhere, Like he is a very personal, engaging God who wants to engage us and wants us to engage him in a very personal, intentional way. And so sometimes I think coming out of COVID is a good thing because we go, gosh, like I'm beginning to see where I was just jumping through hoops. Like where was it that I was just going through the motions of being a Christian, coming to church, or whatever that is. And so we start with this, like that God is a personal God, like he is Yahweh, and he wants to engage us in a personal way, okay? So these next words, right, though, is that um, it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So if we move on to that, when you hear those words, what type, um, what, like what does this make you think of, other, other Bible passages, other books of the Bible, the word of the Lord came to somebody, such and such, yada, yada, yada. What does it make you think of? It makes you think of prophecy. Prophecy, um, this, is, this is a prophetic book, okay? Um, and we, we know... Um, that a prophet's primary role in life, um, or as, as, a, as a, in his relationship with God, his primary role uh, was to call people back into right relationship with God. So it's not like so. I just I, because sometimes I think we think prophet. And we go, like, okay, so their job is to predict the future. But let's just straighten this out, okay? So, like, when, when God inducts somebody uh, into, I don't know, what, maybe prophethood, how do you say that? Like, when he calls somebody into prophethood, it's not like, like, like Yahweh hands him this, like, special divine magic eight ball, <laughs> right? Like, okay, so, like, you take this around, and they're like, hey, will our city be destroyed today? Shake, shake, shake. Um, ask me tomorrow, <laughs> You know, like there is, it's just not how It works, right? It's prophets is about calling people back into right relationship with God, and so Jonah is the is God's spokesperson, so to speak, of whatever it is that that God or Yahweh really wants to speak, right? He wants to use Jonah as uh, as his, his his tool, really, as his vessel. So, but when we think about calling people back into right relationship with God, we there's an assumption there. Because the assumption is that if there are people, if, if if his role is to call people back into right relationship, then what? There must be people who are not in right relationship. With God. In fact, that's a fundamental piece of the Bible. It's a fundamental piece of God's story, right? From the very beginning, like God created man and woman, and then like just a few moments later, like everything goes, goes kaput, <laughs> right? And, and we enter into this broken relationship. Uh, and so the world and us as people um, are not the way that we are designed to be. That's a fundamental thing. And we know this, right? Because we hurt each other. Like we we demean each other, we we kick each other when we're down, Uh, we criticize, we we create wars, we create conflict, and it happens on massive scales and it happens on smaller scales, but we know that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. And God, by inviting Jonah into this, is to say, I want you to be a part of me making things right. I want to be I want you to be a part of how I am bringing this this good news to the world. And so what we're going to find actually in our story is that there are two people groups. In, in the whole book of Jonah, there are two people groups that are in broken relationship with God, not in right relationship. And the first one is the natural, it's the Ninevites, right? They're, they're the people, they're the bad, wicked, mean people that we'll talk about in a second. But the, but the other group is actually God's own chosen people, the Israelites, that's that's who this book is primarily about. This is more a, a, about a book about the Israelites than it is about the Ninevites. And how do we know that? So, if if you were to compare Jonah. Uh, as a prophetic book, to, to any other prophetic book, what you would find, say, whether it's a major prophet or a minor prophet, so you go Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, like Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zechariah, all of those people, what you'll find is that it will say the word of the Lord came to such and such, but then it will be this record of all of the words that God has them speak to the people, but Jonah is the one unique story in all of the prophetic books that doesn't do that. In fact, there's only eight words of prophecy in the entire book. Jonah is 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 really um, let's see how do I how do I say this as I think through. Uh, Jonah is is really just a story. It's a story about a prophet. And so it's different, and meaning that it has an entirely different message or lesson than the other prophetic books. And so then the question that we have to ask in, as we read this story is, if this is different, um, then what is, what is the message or the lesson that we need to learn? And what we're going to find is that this is actually a book that is really God's critique of his own people, a critique of his own, his own people. So, um, here we go. Uh, we're going to kind of move on into verse two. So, as we begin to unpack this, and so this is where we transition as we, we move out of this kind of this upside-down story, as we begin to unpack a little bit more, right? This is God's heart, okay? So, God has a heart that, this, that we need to understand. Verse two, And he says, arise, he's talking to Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up uh, against me. So, if we come over to our map here, by the way, so um, what we're going to find is that this, so if you see, in between here, this is all the Mediterranean Sea, and over here, this is kind of the Israel Israel area, and so kind of right here... Right, we've got Israel and uh, and Jonah is probably, I don't know, maybe somewhere up here in the kind of the northern kingdom area of Israel. And God asks him, right, to go to this place on the map that's it's well over here, and it's this city called Nineveh, right? And the next thing right, that we find, if I were to kind of just draw this here for a second. Let's just assume, um, or just maybe just think with me here for a second, that this box is kind of like you're, you're zooming in, like with your fingers on an iPhone, okay? This box represents the, the city, the walls of Nineveh. And, and God, Yahweh, explains this city as that great city. And so it's as if what he does is he's talking to Jonah, is he's inviting Jonah into understanding that this city is actually filled with people. It just is filled, 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 filled with lots and lots of people. In fact, later on in chapter 4, it tells us that this city has 120,000 people, right? Which is a ton. Of people like I don't know what the Fargo-Moorhead area is but like 120,000 people in one city is big for any city let alone a city from back then and we could keep going and keep going and this is how God describes the city as he says in in chapter 4 is that of these 120,000 people none of them understand or know the difference between their right hand and their left hand he's basically saying this is a city full Full of people who are in broken relationship with me, and he has compassion over them. And so, what does he want to do? Is that he wants to send Jonah um, to them to prophesy uh, against them, so that they have the chance uh, to repent. Right? By the way, that's like what? Maybe a hundred dots. Think about one hundred and twenty thousand dots. Now, now Jonah is reluctant to go, and, um, and here's why, right? Because this city, uh, Nineveh, is actually a part of the, uh, the nation Assyria, okay? So, Assyria is like bad news, like for in, in the whole known world. Like they are horrific, brutal, just mean people, right? And so, when the text says that their evil has risen up to the Lord, you're like, evil? No kidding, okay? So, um, So, if you're young, maybe just maybe protect your ears for a second because this will get a little horrific or graphic. But I think it's important for us to understand the type of people that God, that Yahweh was sending Jonah to. Okay, so one of the things that the Ninevites were known to do um, was that when they captured um, an opponent, if they captured somebody, what they would do is that they would cut off both of their legs and then they would cut off one arm. And then as they're bleeding out and dying, they would reach down and shake their hand. And you go, who does that? Like that's just absolutely horrific, it's brutal. It's this mockery that like, it's, it's your privilege to shake the hand of your victor. <laughs> like it's absolutely terrible. And they captured people, uh, they, would, they would pull out their prisoners' tongues, uh, they would stretch their bodies so that they could be skinned alive, and then they would take their skin and hang it on their walls. They would display it on their walls. And this is even, and so even if you, if, if, maybe if you died, you were the lucky one because of the people who survived, here's what would happen, is that they would, they would decapitate a person. They would put that head on a pole and then they would force the family and the friends of that loved one to carry that pole through the streets. That's who they were. It's, I mean, it's absolutely horrific. It's terrible. Right? It's like there's no wonder. Like you would look at the scenario and go, like, there's like, why in the world would God ever include these types of people, right, in His plan? These are the types of people that you go, like, let's steer clear of them. Like, let's like, like you just like live in your area and don't come near to us. I don't want anything to do with you. This is absolutely terrible. I don't, I don't want any of that. Right. And yet, you would think that when God says to Jonah, like, go and proclaim judgment, you would think that Jonah would be happy. Like, yeah, let me go. Let me proclaim judgment on them. And yet, Jonah is actually terrified in this moment. He chooses not to go, right? He's very much not happy with this. And so, what does he do, right? Verse 3, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so let's come back here. For a second, we come back to our map. So let's just assume, right, that Jonah is up here, okay, and God says, go over here. By the way, the words he uses are arise and go, okay, um, and then the same words happen in verse 3, uh, except instead of doing what God wants, he, he gets up, he rises, and he goes, but he comes down here to this city on the coast called Joppa, and then he boards, boards a plane, uh, well, not a plane, a boat, right? And comes all the way over here, and this is where he wants to go, <laughs> to the town of Tarshish. This is the southern tip of Spain. This is, for all practical purposes, like what, what's further west than this, like the Americas, long time before that's discovered right? And so he comes right here, which is the known, or this is where he wants to go, the known edge of the world, right? And so God's like, hey, would you just come up here and do this? He's like, all the way over here. By the way, this is the irony of this, is that this is, this is funny, and I'm going to try and draw this. I don't know that I can. Um, kind of looks like a whale, but I'm going to, does that look like a dove at all? No? Okay. Well, just picture a dove. Jonah's name, Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove. And get this, this is so crazy. Dove, son of faithfulness. And you're like, ladies and gentlemen, I give you dove. There he goes. He's flying away as far as he possibly can from who God is and what God wants to do. Right? You see the irony Right? The comical sense of this, if you were to read this as an Old Testament reader, you'd be like, this is so upside down. This is so backwards. This is so not the way that this is supposed to be. A couple of years ago, um, I was um, boarding a plane, or I, had to, I was going to go down to Florida for some, for some EFCA stuff. Uh, that's our denomination, if you don't know. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm the kind of guy that uh, just buys pretty much the cheapest ticket, right? Like, I, they're like, pay extra $5 for whatever. I'm like, no way. <laughs> Just put me wherever. And so um, I got this seat, and for whatever reason, I remember it was in row 17, okay? Row 17, and I happened to be right in between to, to other people. So I wasn't the, the aisle, so I had very little access. And so here I was like crammed into this seat. So I boarded the plane and everything's fine, right? And then, <laughs> this is so bizarre, I've, I've never had this happen other than this. This guy in this, this full official garb enters onto the plane, like it's taking forever for us to leave, and, he, and this guy comes in with all of his special gear and he picks up the mic and he says, I need three people from row 17, and I was like, oh, that's me. Um, row 17 and row 20 to move to the front of the plane and I was like oh interesting like that's kind of nice like like I could do that and so I'm like I'm like kind of like trying to get up and they won't let me out and I'm like what is wrong with you like they're front it's the front of the plane there's they're better seats like I'll go up there like they won't let me out and so I like I look down the aisle and nobody moves nobody budges and I look in the back row 20 nobody moves and there's this awkward silence and it's so bizarre, right? And so the guy gets back on his microphone and he says, I need three people from row seventeen and row twenty to move to the front. And I went and it was like they're like they were like frozen. Like I'm not doing it. Like they weren't wearing headphones, like they could clearly hear, okay? Um, and, and so I'm like, this is weird. So the guy gets back on the microphone, and, and he says it again. And so finally, a couple people from row 20 move up to the front. And so we all think, okay, so now we can leave. The, the problem is solved. He gets back on the mic and says, now I need three people from row 17 and row 21 to move to the back of the plane. And I was like, what? As if the front of the plane wasn't appealing. You think we're going to go back there? You know? And, uh, and so I look down the row, and guess what? Hmm. Just, just full frozen. And, and then there proceeds this awkward silence. Because everybody in the plane has got to be looking at us. They're like, what, who, who's in row 17? And I'm like, you know, like just sneaking away. And, uh, and he gets on the mic again with this annoyed voice. And he says, I don't think you understand. This plane isn't going anywhere until three people from row 17 and row 21 go to the back of the plane. This is a weight issue. And I was like, what? Wait, wait, has anybody ever else had this happen? Like, it's so bizarre. I'd never had this happen. And so finally, like, at the, and I look down, and like, they're like, nobody moves. And so I, I literally have to like, step over. He won't even get out of my way. I have to step over him and go to the back of the plane. But here's what I think is so interesting about this story, is that sometimes we have the audacity to look people with authority in the face and do this. Mm-mm. Like, I'm not going to do it. And when we do that, that is active rebellion, (laughs) right? It's active rebellion. I said, I'm I'm not going to do that. And when we think about Jonah, right, Jonah, that is a really terrible dove. Wow, I need to practice that, right? Um, Jonah not only looks God in the face and says, "Uh uh-uh, he gets off of the plane. He goes to an entirely different plane and says, no way, I'm out of here. And he goes as far away as he possibly can. So here's my, here's my question. Why, why does Jonah flee? Well, the text doesn't tell us, but I want to suggest three possible things. Just wrestle with these. One uh, is just fear. Right? Like It makes sense that Jonah would be afraid to go up here. Right? He would be afraid for his very life. Like, this would be the equivalent, uh, I mean, it's a full terrorist state, right? And so it'd be the equivalent of us going to the Middle East in the middle of a war or going into the middle of Nazi Germany and proclaiming, like, repentance. Like, can you imagine that? Like, it's just, just, you would think, I'm going to die. And so there's probably a ton of fear on his end. Uh, the second one is just maybe anger or injustice. Like, he would look God in the face and go, like, I get it, God, that you love people and that you have a heart for people, but, but these people? Like, if we have this sense of scale in which we weigh it out, and, and it doesn't need to be with just massive, like, death type of things. We do this on a weekly basis. We, we weigh a scale about who we think is deserving of, of, of God's grace. We do this all the time, right? And so maybe, maybe it's, it's injustice. Maybe it's just the idea of comfort or contentment that we, that we go, you know what? Like, that just sounds way too hard. You can find somebody else to do that. So I'm just going to go, you know, get an iced tea in southern Spain. You know, like, that's where I'm going to go. Um, and we just want to keep the status quo, And we just go, God, okay, like that's just not something that I'm willing to do. Um, And and so maybe it's any three uh, of those things. Or maybe, right, it's something uh, totally different. But here's what I know is that difficult situations stir up difficult emotions inside of us. Difficult situations stir up difficult emotions. And so here's what I want to do is I come back over here, and if we were to kind of create a box that is contrast to this box, if this box represents me, really, because if this is Jonah, Jonah represents the nation of Israel, and so Jonah can be attributed to me. And so what I can tend to forget is that I have my own box, right? This is God's box where he says that great city that's filled with 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. And as I do this and as I look at this box, what if this box represented my sin just from this morning? Like this, is, like, this is my sin just from this morning, right? And then I begin to think about, gosh, like, what about the sin from, like, all of yesterday and, and then the week before in the last year, right? Like, there, there's no way that we can really do this. All it would be would just be this massive, thick covering, right, of sin, And it's in this moment where it's important for me to remember who I'm talking to because the God of creation, Yahweh, looked at me in this box and says, I have a plan for that. I have a plan for that, and I have a plan for these people. And the reality is is that for us is that these two boxes are always going to be in tension. God's heart for lost people, right, and our sin, my heart, These two things are always going to be in tension. And so here's what I love, though, about the book of Jonah, right, is that both of these people groups have sin in their life. They have brokenness in their life. And God never gives up on these people, and he never gave up on Jonah. And so if that's true, then Jonah is really a book about hope. Jonah is really a book about hope. Does that make sense? Like, we begin to see God's heart in this, right? It's a book about hope, and yet, I think this is important, is that, is that, As much as this this is a book about hope, it also calls sin for what it is. So if you look in verse 3, right, and it says that he he rose to flee to Tarshish. It says that he, he went away from the presence of the Lord. Now, the presence of the Lord, or from the presence of the Lord, is actually a Hebrew idiom for this idea of a total rejection of God. And so if we think about this map, right, down here is Jerusalem, Jonah would have left everything about his life behind. He would have left any family that he had. He would have left the temple, right, on all of the things that were necessary for him to be ritually clean, right? All of this stuff that is about right relationship between him and God, he departs from that and he leaves and it's a total rejection of who God is and what he wants to do. And so here's what I want you to see. Check out this this line, running. And this is, I know this is hard. It's challenging, but I think this is true. Running is, at best, a rebellion against Yahweh. At its best, it's an active rebellion. But at its worst, it's a total rejection. And somehow, when I'm running, I have to go somewhere on that scope. That's me. And I'm somewhere between those two things. I'm either rebelling or I'm rejecting. You see, Jonah isn't just a character in the story. He is the representative for the nation of Israel. This is God's way of saying to the people of Israel, um, I want you to see people in the same way that I see you. Do you get that? that I mean, that's really, that's really what he's saying. So I want to just kind of wrap up with a few things. Um, take a look at this picture as we just transition here. Like, we just, where, where does Jesus fit into this? This is a picture... Um, of uh, the floor of a, ta- what well, would have been a home uh, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And so when we were in Israel, um, we were at this this site of this, would have been a pagan town. Um, and uh, our um, our tour guide uh, in the midst of this would, just was randomly rocking around. He dropped a coin on the ground. And then what he did is that he invited us to search for the coin. Now the the space was maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe 30 feet by 20 feet, so it wasn't like huge, but there were 30 of us. And so really, like, my zone, my area was pretty small. All I had to do was look in my spot. It took 30 people 15 minutes to find this coin. By the way, you can find this picture out uh, in the foyer, and I would invite you. This is kind of like Israel, where's Waldo, okay? Just think of it that way. Go find the coin in the picture out there because this is the story that's attached to it. As we think about Jesus, we look at Luke 15. This is the parable it comes from. who repents. Like, this is Jesus' words. He's like, think about how hard this woman would have searched and scoured to find one coin. And he goes, this is my heart. And so what does he do? He enters into the world to die on a cross for all of this mess inside of me. And he says, I know that's intention, but I want the same thing for these people. I really do. I go, is that our heart? Do we understand God's heart? And is that part of our rhythm, and so here's just finish with this big, this one line, right? So running is at best, right? It's a rebellion against Yahweh, and at worst, it's a rejection. But thankfully, I want us to hear this. Thankfully, we have a God who never, ever gives up on us or others, right? That is His heart. Well, I want to invite up the worship team and um, and let them come up, and we're going to just finish with a couple of questions as we as we wrestle through these uh, together. The first one is this is just hey it's very general generic are you running are you running from the lord and again we're not talking about just god like this esoteric thing we're talking about the personal engaging god are you running from yahweh the guy who would talk to you and call you. And then the, the second part of that though is like, where might fear, injustice, or comfort be keeping you from engaging the road? And that second question though is really so important, right? What role does hope play in your life? Like if does this hope connected to this? Is 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 the hope that I have in the context of all that Jesus has done for me, and does that same hope move into and spill into my view? of other people. And then lastly, what is ask, what is Yahweh asking you today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we as we wrap up our time this morning. As I as I think back to even just the very beginning of this as we as we think about the story of Jonah, how the the story is this upside-down story. As we look at Jonah and the people in the world, we go, gosh, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And this is everything that's opposite about how Jonah is supposed to be living. And so, Father, Lord, I just pray that this morning that you would challenge us not to be upside-down people, but to be right-side-up people, to be people who engage the road in a thoughtful, intentional way because we see the world through your eyes. We see the world through the hope that that exists for those who would confess their sin with their mouth, right, that they could attain the salvation of God by grace through faith. But may I never ever lose sight because at the core of this is the cross, what Jesus did for me. We love because he first loved us. And so maybe that's where we need to start this morning is that we need to put ourselves on our knees in front of the cross and remind ourselves just how much you loved us, that you would send your son to die for us. And so this morning, would you take whatever it is that we're learning and would you take it outside these walls into our homes, into our neighborhoods, to where we work, where we live, and where we play. Amen.